Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I pray that you participate in that. So, just a couple of things. So tonight, I'm going to begin teaching because I want to get some groundwork done. Uh, This message is called Introduction to Prayer and Fasting. I want to tell you guys something. But, you know, I say this kind of jokingly, but it's kind of flipping. But if you, I I was going to say, if you want to learn how to empty out a conference, right, or, or put on a conference that no one wants to come to, just start talking about prayer and fasting. The, the American Christian does not want to fast. Are you guys with me? Not biblically fast. I'll talk about biblical fasting, but it's like fasting, oh my gosh, it just drives the religious devil out of a person. You want to get in some heat, just go on Facebook and say, I think Christians should fast and just watch every devil from hell begin to come out. Because the devil hates fasting. Um, but hopefully today you gain a better understanding. So this is an introduction into prayer and fasting, and so I'll tell you what we're going to do. Starting January 2nd, we are going to go on a corporate 21-day fast as a church. We're, gonna, we're not just doing prayer, right? A lot of churches, they've cut out the fasting, and they just do, right? It used to be 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now most places just do 21 days of prayer. They don't want to do the fasting, but we're going to fast for 21 days. Don't worry. You're like, I, I don't know if I can do that. We're going to do... You guys are going to do 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's only 12 hours, no food. You can eat dinner every night. You could eat an early breakfast if you wake up before 6 a.m. But we're going to do 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. fasting for 21 days. Hallelujah. Guys, and so January, the first, we have Nick Zinner starting off with Revival. The second kicks off 21 days of fasting. Every single day, Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock, we're going to have an hour prayer, noon prayer happening here every single day at 12 o'clock. Praise the Lord. I didn't tell my wife yet, so some news for you. But I really felt this in my, in my spirit, that January is going to be an entire month of spiritual emphasis. January is going to be an entire month of spiritual emphasis. Over the last several days, that's, I literally just keep, like that word just keeps coming up in my spirit, spiritual emphasis, spiritual emphasis. And I started saying, Lord, is the whole year, maybe it's tied to the year, but I just know in January, guys, I, we're going to be praying We're going to be fasting. We're starting the first week off in revival. And and I'm already preparing myself. I'm going to go where I've never gone in 2023. It's already getting settled in my spirit that, Lord, I'm going to go to deeper places that I've never gone before. That I'm I'm going to press in for breakthrough. I'm going to press in for revival in our day and age. I'm going to press in for more souls being saved in Angelina County. We're going to press in and see this church multiply just astronomically in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't even know if you're thinking that, but I hope that you are because it's been stirring in my spirit, right? It's like I've been eating it up and and just kind of, okay, well, you better enjoy it because for me, when January 1st rolls around, it's, it's time for business. Not that we're not in business now, but there's a time for feasting and there's a time for fasting. Amen. 
Guys, so I'm telling you, we're going to be doing a lot. And you may be hearing this and say, wow, that sounds like a lot of commitment. It is a lot of commitment, but you need to already set it up in your mind. It is a special month. Say special month. So it's, so it's supposed to be different. You know, you may say, well, John, that will make my life like go on a pause. Exactly. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be nothing but a, a month of, of Holy Ghost encounter, pressing into the Lord like you've never pressed into the Lord before. And I'm telling you, the Lord, he put in my spirit that if you'll do it, if you'll make January a month of, of, of spiritual emphasis for your life, you will be astounded. You will... Uh, you'll encounter God in 2023 like you've never encountered the Lord before. I'm telling you guys, some of you have longed in your heart to have these crazy, I mean, supernatural encounters with the living Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord told me, people are going to see me. People are going to have dreams. People are going to encounter me. People are going to get revelation from the word like they've never had in their entire life. It's just going to come so accelerated in 2023. And we're going to set the whole thing up the first month. It's going to be a month of spiritual emphasis. So go ahead and get ready. Well, the laundry's going to pile up. Yes, it's okay. Let it pile up a little bit. Well, I might have to, you know, run errands, and it's, uh, I'm going to be running errands a little bit later, and have, it's going to mess up my schedule. Yes, it's going to mess up your schedule, but that's what consecrating a time to the Lord is. Hallelujah. Okay. Praise God. I pray that you'll come and be a part of that. So let's just go ahead and get right into this tonight. This is an introduction to prayer and fasting. I, I don't want to teach a lot on prayer. I think some people have a basic idea of that. I want to really deal with fasting. So let's start with this basic question that seems obvious from the Bible, but in, in our day and age, I'll kind of talk about this. It's, it's really messed up. People don't even know what it is, but what is fasting? What is biblical fasting? I'm going to give you an Old Testament example and a New Testament example. 2 Samuel 1.12, it says they mourned and they wept and they fasted. Say fasted. They fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. So one more time, say fasted. This is an Old Testament reference of what it, the Bible means by fasting. That, that reference there, fasted, is the Hebrew word to sum, the T silent, but it's really like sum, and that Hebrew word literally means this, to abstain from food. I want you to say food. food. This is going to be a key word here, food. To abstain from food, to fast, it actually means this, to cover the mouth. Wow. So let's look at a New Testament example, and I'll get, make a point here. Because I already set this up, you may know where I'm going, right? Even, most churches cut out fasting altogether. Most Christians don't fast at all. And if they do, they don't fast food. They say, well, we're going on a social media fast. Guys, that, that's not in the Bible. How many of you guys know that Jesus didn't even have the opportunity to go on a social media fast? There wasn't social media around. Well, I'm fasting television this month. Great. You, you know, you want to cut out TV and press into the Lord? Hallelujah. But that's not fasting according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the word fast literally means to cover the mouth. It means to abstain from food. Say food. It's, and again, especially in America, you have Christians trying to get everywhere, every way they can around that. You know why? Ultimately, because food is our God. For a lot of people, food is their God. And Apostle Paul actually talked about that, that there's people that all they do is pursue after their fleshly desires and their stomach is their God. Their appetite is their God. 
And then we wonder why our faith doesn't work, why our prayers don't work, why there's no power, why there's no breakthrough, why there's no harvest, why there's no anything in our life, because literally we're, we're, we're just living according to our carnal nature. We have not learned to master our flesh. So the New Testament example, the Old Testament example, it literally means to abstain from food, to cover the mouth. Now let's look at the New Testament, Acts 13, 2. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, say fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So say fasting. So in the, in the New Testament, right, in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. Uh, the New Testament is predominantly written in Greek. So this is a whole different word, different language. This is the Greek word, neistuo, neistuo. Tuyo, okay, nace tuyo. All right, I don't speak Greek. But guess what nace tuyo means? To abstain from food. Say abstain from food. So either way you look at it, Old Testament, New Testament, there's only one idea when it comes to fasting, and it is to abstain from food. So the minute that you can quit trying to get around that and you can accept that, you can actually begin to enter into biblical fasting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. As I said before, fasting TV or social media is not a biblical fast. Can you say amen? amen. Okay. So what does fasting say? Abstaining from food. So first point tonight, now that we got that out of the way, this is controversial, and a lot of people don't like this type of language, but I'm just going to tell you how it is. Number one, we are commanded to fast. We are commanded. Say commanded. Amen. Guys, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is something that I struggle with. I always knew, you know, it's good. It's a good thing that we should do, but I never really understood. It's actually not a suggestion. We are commanded to fast. Underneath this point, you need to understand this, that Jesus did not suggest fasting. He instructed fasting. Hallelujah. So he didn't suggest it. It means fasting is not a suggestion for the New Testament Christian. I'll give you some examples. In Matthew chapter 6, lots of great stuff in Matthew chapter 6, but this is the when chapter. Say the when chapter. The W-H-E-N. Because Jesus makes statements like this. He says, when you give to someone in need. So he makes three points, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing their trumpets in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Say, when you give. You notice that language doesn't say, if you give. Did he say that? If you give, no, he said when you give. What does that mean? It was if was never even a concept in his mind. Jesus actually never even fathomed a Christian that, that wasn't a giver. Hallelujah. Okay, Max, uh, Matthew 6, 5, he said, when you pray. Did he say, if you pray? Come on, did he say, if you pray? No, he said, when you pray. Not if, when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So did he suggest prayer? Is prayer optional for a New Testament Christian? Come on, somebody say no. 
I know that a lot of people just totally cut it out of their lives, but even though you cut it out, it doesn't mean that it's actually not mandatory according to the New Testament instructions of Jesus. He said, when you pray, when you give, and finally, Matthew 6, 16, and when, wait, did he say if? No, say when. When you fast. What did that mean? That means that Jesus never had an idea in his head of a a believer, a New Testament Christian, that lived a a life apart from prayer and fasting. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and misheaved, so they will be admired for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So Jesus did not suggest it, he instructed it. Can you say amen? amen. One more example, Luke 5, 33 through 35. One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But look at verse 35. But someday the groom will be taken away from them. And what? Then they, does it say they might fast? Then they should fast? Then they will fast. Have we entered into that time where Jesus came to the earth, he died, in, he died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he resurrected. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And then what happened? He was taken away. He went to a distant land, just like the Bible talks about. He was taken into heaven, but one day he's coming back, and he said, in the day where the Son of Man is taken away, that is the day that you will fast. Hallelujah. So what does that mean? Fasting is for today. In fact, I'll actually take it a step further. It is unbiblical to not fast. It is unbiblical. Say it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical to not fast. The question is never if you should fast. The question is always when and how long you should fast. See, you should never even be asking yourself as a Christian, well, should I do that? Should I not do that? No, the question is, it's not even optional. As we saw, it was instructed by Jesus. The question is, when should I do it and how long should I do it for? Hallelujah. Guys, and I want to tell you something as well. The, the amazing thing about the 21-day fast that we're about to do, it's not something that just our church is doing. The entire global body of Christ is doing a 21-day fast. Are you with me? So you're not doing anything odd and weird and, and bucking the system by doing this. You're actually being odd and weird and totally disconnected from the body when you don't do this. So Jesus did not suggest it. He instructed it. Now let's look at Apostle Paul. Understand this. It's a, it's a command. Say a command. Paul was a man of prayer and fasting. The Apostle Paul was a man of prayer and fasting. I'm going to kind of help you see the New Testament example that's given to us in the scriptures here. So we need to establish, was Apostle Paul... Right? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Was he a man that believed in prayer and fasting? The reason I'm bringing that point up to you is because maybe you've never heard anything about it and this is all new. Or maybe you're a person that, that you know, you Christians start making these weird arguments. Like, like, oh, well, Jesus fasted because 
It was before grace. It was before the cross. And Jesus was still actually technically underneath the new covenant. And so after the cross now, nowhere in the New Testament do Christians fast. And that was all done away with. And we don't have to do that because we've received God's grace now. Well, was Apostle Paul, in? was he before the cross or was he after the cross? Was he a part of New Testament Christianity? So can we see through the scripture, was he a man that obviously understood the instructions to pray and fast? Let's look at some examples. Acts 9, 8 through 9. Actually, this is amazing. The first encounter immediately after Paul has, Saul at that time, had his first encounter with Jesus Christ. He fasted for three days. It said Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. And what did he do? He did not eat or drink. What was Paul doing when he did not eat or drink for three days? Say fasting. He did not eat or drink for three days. Even think about this, and I'll actually get to tomorrow's broadcast. I have a limited time to do this. I'm going to get into the benefits of fasting. Uh, some of the spiritual benefits, why I'm telling you that if, if you'll learn the benefits of fasting, it won't be some religious chore that you feel obligated to do. You'll get excited to do it. You're like, oh my gosh, I, like I'm already excited. I cannot wait to fast in January. I can't wait to do it because my expectation of what I know is going to come from it in my life. But think about Paul. He was blinded and what was his answer to that problem? I need to fast. Why did he know that he needed to fast? Because fasting is actually a key to breakthrough. Paul knew this key about fasting, that fasting would actually serve as a solution to being blinded. Come on, somebody. Okay. Anyways, that's just a little nugget. So he fasted for three days. Acts 2, 2 through 3. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit appointed Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, so get this, Paul and Barnabas, they're with a group of leaders that are already fasting and prayer. So they spend this time fasting and praying, and when they're consecrated to God, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, appoint Barnabas and Paul for their special work. And then what did they do after they received that word? They go back into more time of prayer and fasting. It says, after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Look at Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. Say fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So there's three examples just from the book of Acts. Was Apostle Paul a devout man of prayer and fasting? Say yes. Absolutely. According to the scripture, he was. He believed in it. So understand this about Paul. Apostle Paul taught the elders to teach the churches his ways of following Christ. So as Apostle Paul went around planting different churches, as I'll read in just a moment, he actually taught these, these churches he was rising up to follow after him, follow his pattern in serving Christ. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. Say my ways in Christ. What does it mean, my ways in Christ? Basically, the things that I do. 
my spiritual disciplines, how I serve the Lord. So did we just establish that the Lord, that Paul frequently served God with prayer and fasting? Say yes. He said, as I teach everywhere in every church. So what does that mean? Paul would have been teaching every single church about prayer and fasting. Here's my last point about, uh, my last point, underneath we are commanded to fast. Get this, the early church fasted two times per week historically. So we actually have writings of New Testament church pastors and founders and even extra biblical writings that gave insight into what the early church, has anybody ever wondered that? What did church look like the first hundred years after Jesus was on the earth and the book of Acts happened and Pentecost? What did the church look like? I've wondered that. I've done research into that. We actually have writings from that time. And did you know historically the early church fasted two times per week? They fasted on Wednesdays and they fasted on Fridays. Amen. So here's kind of my whole point. This isn't some new thing. This isn't some, this idea that we don't need to fast because we're under grace and that's not a part of our covenant and it's not important. Really, Jesus didn't have that idea. Paul didn't have that idea. And historically, the church didn't have that idea for hundreds and hundreds of years. They understood the power and the importance of prayer and fasting. Hallelujah. So here's the question. Is fasting in the Bible? Is it in the New Testament? Did Jesus do it? Did he instruct us to do it? Did Paul do it? Do we have good authority that Paul taught it to other Christians? Say yes. So with all of that being said, it is unbiblical to not fast. The question is never if you should fast. The question is when and how long you should fast. Praise God. Okay, number two. Are y'all still okay tonight? Hallelujah. Number two, let's answer this question. Why should we fast? So you just saw very clearly and undeniably through the scripture that that we should do it. It's instructed. The early church did it. There's no question about that. But I don't want you to just do something religiously. Let's ask the question, why? Why is it important that I do this? What happens when I do this? And we'll get to that, but I want to go to this first. Why should we fast? Number one, obedience. Say obedience. And this is just a very simple point. Jesus said to do it, so we should do it. Hallelujah. So many people's problems would be solved if they would stop treating this book like a book of suggestions. You know, in fact, I know I've read this to you a thousand times But in Joshua chapter 1, look what it says in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the instructions, say instructions, Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left, then you'll be successful. Say successful. If you don't deviate from the instructions, you'll be successful in everything that you do. And then I love this line here. Study this book of instruction continually. I love that word. 
I love how it doesn't say study this book of suggestions. It says study this book of instruction. What does that mean? Instruction's not suggestional. If a Christian will begin to take this word and stop, decide, well, maybe I like it, maybe I don't like it. And no, actually begin to conform to the word. If Jesus said it, I don't care how much it offends me. I don't care how much I have to give in order to get myself right. If Jesus said it, I'm going to do it at all costs. Hallelujah. If the Bible says it, then I'm going to do it, and that settles it. Amen. Come on, amen. And the Bible says that if you'll stop treating this book like suggestions and start treating it for what it is, like instructions, guess what? You'll prosper. Say prosper. You'll prosper. It will produce a tree in your life. It will, you will gain the wisdom of God. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that when you acquire wisdom, she offers you long life in her left hand and riches and honor in her right hand. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have life more abundantly. Say abundant life. People think that God is just trying to religiously strike us down and put all these rules on us. It's so stupid. And I know I preached this a few weeks ago. But God, his, his plan for us is abundant life. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, he said, today I've given you a choice between life and death, blessing and curses. Oh, that you would choose life. What does that tell you? God wants you blessed. Say bless. God wants you to prosper. Say prosper. God wants, I mean, I'm telling you guys, he doesn't want you struggling financially. He doesn't want you struggling in your health. It says with long life, I'll satisfy you. He doesn't plan or will that you die early and young and prematurely. He has promised us prosperity in life. He's promised us abundant life. He's promised us kingdom life. He's promised us a life like Adam and Eve were able to live before they came underneath the dominion of sin and Satan. It's a powerful thing. You know, the Lord told me this one time years ago, and it changed my life. He said, you need to learn the difference between conviction and condemnation. He said, because conviction, condemnation will, will make you ashamed and make you run from God, but conviction is sweet like honey. And, and he said, but the thing is, is that condemnation and conviction, sometimes it sounds like the exact same voice. It's just how you receive it. So the Lord says that I speak to you and I correct you, but when I correct you, I'm not condemning you. Right? I'm not hitting you over the head saying, I hate you, I'm mad at you, I'm going to judge you. He says, no. John, you must understand this. I know the best plan for your life. I am the almighty God. I sit in the heavens. If I see every single path of a man. I see every variable of what your life could be. If you, the difference between marrying this person and marrying this person. The difference between living in Texas and living in Kentucky. The difference between living in, uh, going to work in Huntington or going to work in Lufkin. I see every variable and possibility. And he said, and my will for you is to have the very best possibility in life. I see the path for the most abundant blessed life. I can see it all. And he says, if you'll trust me, I know everything that needs to go in your life to get you from where you're at to where I'm trying to get you to be. And if you'll understand that, you'll know that I'm never trying to condemn you, but my, my words of instruction and even rebuke become sweet like honey. Because when I put my hand on something, I'm not trying to take something away from you. I'm actually trying to get a blessing to you. 
Hallelujah. That's good. Jesus said to do it, enough said. That should be good enough reasons right there for us to fast. Jesus said to do it. Amen. Okay, but other than that, other than just the fact that the Bible says to do it, Jesus says to do it, why should we fast? The main reason that you fast, I'm going to cover this point, and if you haven't listened to anything that I've said all night, listen to this. This is why we fast. This is the main reason why you should fast, and it is to do this, to master, say to master, the flesh, to master the flesh. And especially, that's very contrary in 2022 American Christianity because all the American Christianity and modern kind of uh, Christianity wants to do is just make allowances for everybody's flesh and everybody's sin and, and just tell everybody, you know what, it doesn't matter how much you sin. There's already grace. There's already mercy. God already knew what you were going to do before you ever did it. That means the, the forgiveness has already been provided. God doesn't even see your sin anymore. And what's, what, what's the product of that? You have worship pastors painting their dang fingernails leading churches you have sin running rampant, that we just make allowances for sin, right? But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say make allowance for sin. The Bible actually teaches the Christian to master their flesh. Did you know it's possible to master your flesh? You know it's possible to not just... Be a horrible husband your whole life or a horrible wife your whole life or be a jerk or be full of hatred and unforgiveness or be greedy or be a, a, a commit adultery with your eyes and with your heart and, and just say, well, we're all sinners and we're all going to sin every day and God sees my struggle. No, there's actually a possibility that you can master that thing called sin in your life. And so we are called to master our flesh, and this is a huge key when it comes to fasting. You need to understand this about fasting. When you fast, you are not fasting to get more power from God. A lot of people are thinking, I'm going to fast and God's going to give me a special anointing. I'm going to fast and, and God's going to give me miracles. I'm going to fast. And you may see those things come to pass from prayer and fasting, but God's not actually giving you anything more than what you have. Uh, and I'll explain this. You, you need to understand that when you receive power, you receive power when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Ghost, then you do need power. You, need, you do need more power. You don't have any power. But the Bible actually teaches the Acts chapter 2 experience is available for us today. He said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes on you. Say power. So did you know that when you were born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost, you received the same anointing as Jesus Christ? In fact, the Bible actually says the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you, and he lives on the inside of me. If you've been born of God's spirit and baptized in the power and baptized in the Holy Ghost, you have the full anointing of Christ on your life. Come on, somebody. So understand this. You're not fasting to get more power from God. Look what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 20. He said, I pray... He never, Paul never prayed for God to give more power to somebody. Did you know that? Never. He said, yes, let grace abound to you, but he never, Lord, give him more Holy Ghost power. He never prayed like that. Look what he actually prayed. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us 
who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So Paul never prayed that God would give us more power. He prayed that the Christians would get a hold of what they already had on the inside of them. You know, it's like we're, the Bible says that we're fragile jars of clay that contain treasure on the inside of us. Hallelujah. You, you don't understand what you have on the inside. You don't understand the anointing that you have as a new covenant believer. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, I'm telling you the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly realms lives on the inside of us. It's in me. Say it's in me. Say it's on me. So Paul never prayed that God would give Christians more power. He prayed that they would get a revelation of what they already possess. So here's my point. Well, John, how come whenever I, I'm not, I don't see devils cast out. How come I don't ever see any miracles? How come I don't ever see any breakthrough? I don't ever see any things coming to pass. It's not, the, the problem is not your lack of power. Unless, again, unless you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then it is your problem. But I'll give you an example of this. The problem is not your lack of power. And I'm going somewhere with this about fasting, of what fasting really does. Here's an example. The disciples, Matthew 17, 19, 19 through 21, the disciples came to Jesus. So it kind of set this story up. Jesus was on the mountain praying. He came down, and, and this person came and said, I brought my son who's been possessed of an evil spirit, and I asked your disciples to cast out this evil spirit, and they could not do it. And Jesus said, oh, my gosh, you wicked and unbelieving generation, how long must I be with you? Bring the boy to me. They brought the boy to him, and it says he cast out the evil spirit with a simple command. So we pick up here. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? Guys, I want you to hear this. This is really the truth. Jesus didn't say, well, because it was God's will. I guess it wasn't God. I guess it just wasn't God's will that that, that demon came out of that little boy. Is that what he said here? But don't we do the same thing? Well, we prayed for healing and, no, and they, they, they didn't get healed and then we start making stuff up. Well, I guess it, sometimes God says yes and sometimes he says no. Is that what he said? Why could we not get the breakthrough? Why could we not get the miracle? Why couldn't we cast it out? And this is actually interesting. Did you know already in the timeline, Jesus had given them all authority over the power of the devil. So it wasn't the fact that they couldn't do it. They, they potentially could do it, but they weren't able to do it. Why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus said, because of what? Your unbelief. Why don't me and you see miracles in our life like the Bible promises? Is it because it's not God's will? Say no. There's, here's the culprit, and it's the same culprit for every person. Say unbelief. Say unbelief. What's the difference between cancer getting healed and it not getting healed? Unbelief is the difference. Unbelief. When Jesus went to his hometown, he could do no mighty miracles. Why? Because of their what? Unbelief. So if unbelief prevents us from receiving the miracles, the promises, and, and, and the manifestations in our life, then what does that mean? We need to get unbelief out of us. Can you say amen? 
He said, I, I say to you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible for you. Say nothing. Man, I grab a hold of that, that if I can use faith like Jesus said, there would not be one thing that is impossible for me. There would not be one thing that is impossible for you. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. He said, you would be able to say this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, say this kind. It's actually interesting. He's talking about demons. So what does this tell you? There's actually different kinds of demon spirits. Did you know that? There's actually different levels of demonic power. This, and, and whatever this kind was, this kind does not come out except by prayer and what? Fasting. So let me ask this question. Was power, was power their problem? Did Jesus say you couldn't cast out the evil spirit because you don't have enough power? Nope. He said unbelief. Say unbelief. Unbelief was their problem. And then what was his resolution to unbelief? He said fasting and prayer was actually the remedy or the solution to unbelief. Isn't that interesting? Fast, so write that down. That's, a good, that's something that you can grab a hold of. Fasting and prayer is the remedy for unbelief. So I have a quick question for you, and I actually thought about this. I wish I was smart enough to come up with that on my own, but I'm really not. I read Finnis Dake's study notes over this, and he, he said uh, fasting and prayer is the remedy for unbelief. And I read that, and I thought, how? How is fasting? I thought, if you were to ask John, what's the remedy for unbelief? You know what I would say? The word. Reading that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But then the Lord showed me something. He said, no, a person can actually have faith and still have unbelief. Right? Isn't that what that man said? Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And so the word is not the solution to unbelief. The word is the solution to getting faith. But it says fasting and prayer is actually the solution to unbelief. And, and I'll kind of give you my reason why, uh, how I can make sense of that. How is fasting and prayer a solution to unbelief in my life? Because fasting is an action of faith. Fasting is an action of faith. And I'll explain that. How is fasting an action of faith? Let me ask you this. Would you not eat for an extended amount of time to consecrate yourself to a God that you don't really believe in? Would you? If you don't really believe, are you going to fast one day, two days, three? When that stomach starts growling on the fourth, third day, or fourth day, or you start getting, you're not going to go 21 days to consecrate yourself to a God that you really don't believe in down in your heart. Are you with me? You won't do it. When you become a Christian of prayer and fasting, you prove that you are a Christian who has faith that goes past your words. Amen. So I want you to think about this. How is fasting and prayer a solution for unbelief? When you sacrifice for this God that you cannot see, so just think about that. Again, you're set, it's costly. To fast means to not eat. So imagine one day goes by. 
Two days go by. Three days go by. And what is really happening? What, you're being challenged on the inside of you. What do you really believe? Is this really worth it? Do you really believe the Bible? Do you really believe God? If you don't, then like, what's the point, right? I can just eat. There's no point in me even going through this. There's no point in me feeling like, oh, my gosh, I just want to eat. And I walked by Taco Bell, and I can smell it. There's no point in doing any of it if it's not true. But what ends up happening is when you continue to push through a third day, a fourth day, a fifth day, a sixth day, a seventh day, guess what you're doing? That little bit of unbelief that's still in you, that little seed the devil's planted in you, you're taking that sucker out and you're saying, look at me, I won't stop, I won't quit, I'm going to keep consecrating myself to the living God that I believe in, and you actually crucify that unbelief, and you solidify your faith. Because you're testing your faith. So fasting and prayer is how you get unbelief out of you. And what is the blockage of miracles? Say unbelief. So if I can get unbelief out of my life, then I can see miracles begin to flow like water. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. So the lack of power is not the problem. Say that. Say the lack of power is not the problem. Get this, and I'll finish this point up here tonight. Signs, wonders, miracles, and godly fruit are all products of the Spirit. Signs come from your spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody in this room has the ability to perform a miracle in their flesh. Does anybody, can anybody do that? Can anybody take your hands and put them on a blind man's head and, and you know what, I'm just going to rub his face and, and, and I'm just going to somehow make this thing happen. Nobody can do that. But yet, these signs follow those that believe. There's, we've seen miracles. I mean, we have testimonies all the time. Who's received a miracle even from coming to this church that the Lord's touched you? A lot of people have. You know, you, that doesn't come from our flesh. That comes from the Spirit. Say the Spirit. So every sign, wonder, miracle, and godly fruit is a product of the Spirit. These are all produced by the Holy Ghost in us. And so turn your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. Galatians chapter 5. Right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Say your sinful nature. Your sinful nature wants to do evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desire that is opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Look at this line here. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the law of Moses. So let's pause right there. Understand this. These two forces, for the rest of your life, you'll never, you'll never completely come out of this until Jesus Christ comes back and we receive a glorified body like him. 
until sin is finally dealt with on the last day. For the rest of your life, you will have two forces that, that are at war, the Bible says, on the inside of you. Your sin nature, your flesh nature, and your spirit. Say, my sin nature and my spirit. Say, everything good comes from my spirit. Miracles come from my spirit. Provision comes from my spirit. Breakthrough comes from my spirit. But yet I have this other force on the inside of me that is constantly waging war against my spirit, trying to block it and prevent it from producing in my life, which is known as my sin nature. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that tell you? You cannot claim to be a Christian and then live a carnal life and still inherit the kingdom of God. A Christian is a person that, as we'll get to this in a moment, crucifies the flesh and surrenders to the spirit of the living God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And then look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed. So does the Bible say, well, you know what? You're just going to have this fight. Sometimes you'll do good, and sometimes you'll just live in sin. And No, it says those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. What does that tell us? We are to crucify our flesh. Amen. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So, your flesh is what prevents your spirit from producing. Can you say amen? So let's tie this to fasting. When we fast, what are we doing? We are crucifying the only hindrance to the power of God in our lives. You know, the devil has no power to hinder the move of God in your life, he has no ability. To the believer, we've been given all authority over all the power of the enemy. The Bible says we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The Bible says that we're seated far above every spiritual ruler, principality, and power. The Bible says that the sun holds us securely and the evil one touches us not. The only thing that can clog or prevent the power of God from moving in our life is sinful nature, which is actually what? What, per, what does sinful nature produce? Unbelief. Unbelief comes from your flesh and faith comes from your spirit. So when we fast, what's the number one thing you're doing? You're learning to master your sin nature. You're learning to master this flesh. What happens when you're actually hungry and you're like, man, my stomach's growling. You're teaching your flesh, shut up. I don't have to do what you say. I live not by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I live by the spirit of God. You're not my ruler. You're not my master. Guys, I'm telling you, people don't have a, just a sin problem. They have a flesh problem. Sin is a product of the flesh as we just read. I just can't get free from drug addiction. Man, I'm telling you, get power from the Holy Ghost and go on a 21-day fast. You'll get free. You'll learn to master that thing. I can't get free from smoking and nicotine and dip it. Yes, you can. You can. Learn to master the flesh. 
I'll give you this, uh, because fasting is about killing the flesh and consecrating yourself to God. When we fast, we are crucifying the only hindrance to the power of God in our lives. What is that hindrance? Say the flesh. Fasting is about killing the flesh and consecrating yourself to God. That's why it's so dumb for us to just have, well, we're going to have 21 days of prayer. And what are you going to have? At the end of 21 days of prayer, you're going to have a church full of carnal Christians still that never learned to master the flesh and produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I'll give you an example of this, and then I'll pray for you tonight. Man, you guys need to turn into the broadcast tomorrow. Broadcast tomorrow, 10 o'clock a.m. I'm going to continue on the next few points, the law of rest. This is good. Like, you need to understand why should we fast. Your bodies need a rest from digesting food, even scientifically. Maybe I'll get into that. Will you guys give me like five more minutes? Yes? Yes? But I'll give this about the, the flesh. Think about the Hoover Dam. Anybody know what the Hoover Dam is? Anybody ever seen the Hoover Dam? Seen it. It's, it's monstrous. Whenever the Hoover Dam was built, it was actually the largest man-made kind of construction progress, uh, project that the United States had ever done at that point was the Hoover Dam. And so behind the Hoover Dam is the largest man-made lake in the nation, right behind the Hoover Dam. Uh, so let me put it to you like this. Can you imagine in the Hoover Dam, if somebody just took a little drill that was like the size of your pinky, and they drilled a hole straight through the Hoover Dam, and you could sit back with some binoculars, and you could see a little stream of water just like, you know, just misting out of that little hole. Imagine that. You're looking back and you just see this little bitty stream coming out of the dam. You would look and say, you might think, well, look at that. That's, that's a cute little thing. And you would think in your head that the force behind the dam, the force coming out of the dam is actually weak. Why would you think it's weak? Because it's just a little spray, right? It's just a little spray. But it's not weak. Is the force behind the dam weak? Say no, because what would begin to happen if you begin to widen that hole in that dam? Oh, my gosh, before you know it, you begin to widen this little pin-sized hole, and all of a sudden it gets wider. What happens? The water starts, and then before you know it, it starts breaking the dam apart. And next thing you know, you just have this huge wall of water, boom, that comes flooding through. Hallelujah. The power would be revealed. This is exactly what fasting does. It's not about getting power. It's about getting rid of the thing that's blocking the power of God from flowing through our lives. And when you begin to fast, that's exactly what you're doing. It's like you're widening that hole, and now the stream can come through you. The stream can come through you. And it's not about, oh, God, give me more power. No, you have the lake. You have, you're the, you have the entire reservoir behind you, the living water, the power of the Holy Ghost. It's just about removing the blockages. That's what fasting does when it crucifies your flesh. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll give you this last point. So why should we fast? Because Jesus said to, amen, say amen. We should fast to crucify our flesh, say amen. Number three, why else should we fast? We should fast because of the law of rest in the Bible. I'm not going to read you the passages, but in Exodus chapter 20, you have God instituting the Sabbath day. Every seven days you are to rest, say rest. 
In Exodus chapter 23, he instituted the Sabbath year. Every seven years, the land was to rest. You weren't to plant anything or harvest anything from the land. The land was to rest. And the same thing is true that our bodies need a rest from food and digestion. I'll go over just quickly. I'm no doctor or anything, but here's some of the, just scientifically, here's some of the health benefits of fasting. Let me just say this as well. Did you know statistically right now, Americans consume four pounds of preservatives, coloring, stabilizers, flavorings, and other additives each year? The average American consumes four pounds of those things each and every year. Guess what, guys? Your body needs a rest from that junk. Your body needs it. It's funny because as time has gone on, I actually heard people that their dads and grandfathers preached fasting back in the 80s and before that, and and it was always just the spiritual aspect, which is great, but now medical science is coming out, and even secular doctors, right? You know that there's these things called long-life specialists? There's actual doctors called long-life specialists. They've specialized in the science of how a human being can live like 100 years, and and every long-life specialist will tell you that that it is impossible to achieve the long In order to truly achieve, I should say this, long life specialists say that intermittent fasting is essential in order to obtain long life. What is intermittent fasting? That's like six to six, where you actually give your body a break, where you let your body kick into, what is it, mitosis? Ketosis? Okay, ketosis. I'm no doctor, right? But did you actually know this, too, that fasting, intermittent fasting, is the only thing that you can do that regenerates stem cells in your body? It's the only thing. There's nothing else you can do that, to regenerate stem cells. And once you get past a certain age, your body stops regenerating stem cells. But if you actually fast and you, make the, you live a, a fasted lifestyle where you give your digestive system a, a break 12 hours a day where you, where you don't eat, it act, your body begins to regenerate stem cells. You know, that they're even coming out showing the science behind how fasting is a cure to aging, how you can, you can really suppress the effects of aging by intermittent fasting. And, no, and my whole point is all the medical science is coming out showing us that, but God in his infinite wisdom instructed us to do this thousands of years ago in his word when nobody knew any of that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's so many more medical benefits, but I just wanted to give you, I thought that was really interesting, the law of rest. Say, my body needs a rest. Your body needs a rest from the Coca-Cola. It needs a rest from Wendy's. It needs a rest from Sonic. You think that you're killing yourself by fasting, but you're probably killing yourself by what you're eating. Fasting is a very good, healthy thing for you to do with your body. Praise the Lord. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.